Welcome to the WSU Alumni Podcast, where we interview legendary alumni of the station's past. Make sure to listen to our friends at the Pirate's Eye Podcast, where they interview Seton Hall alumni from all walks of life. Available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening today, and enjoy the episode. Hello, my name is Audrey Pennington. I'm a graduating senior here at Seton Hall, and I'm also the production manager of WSOU. Today, I'm excited to be talking with Mr. Stephen Pender here on the WSOU Alumni Podcast. Steve graduated from Seton Hall in 1978 with a BA in communications. He is currently the president of Family Legacy Video Incorporated, where he has provided personal legacy video services to help businesses, families, and individuals preserve, celebrate, and share their histories since 2003. He has an extensive resume with past roles, including on-camera and voice talent as Griff Gumshoe, board member of the Association of Personal Historians, and award-winning writer, director, producer, and editor for Pender Productions, just to name a few. Steve, welcome to the WSU Alumni Podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Audrey. And gosh, I haven't been behind a, a microphone related to WSOU in a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, we're so, we're so glad to have you here. Um, so before we get into your career today and talk more about what you currently do, let's go back mm-hmm. to when you were an undergraduate. Um, what did your time at Seton Hall and WSOU look like? Oh, boy. It was... Um... It was a it was a really interesting time and an exciting time and a, a, a time of I think uh, kind of budding creativity on my part. It was uh, 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 I was a little bit shy back then, <laughs> and I had uh, I had decided I wanted to try a, for a career in 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 radio, uh, basically because I loved listening to radio. I loved connecting with radio personalities and. Uh, and I had uh, looked around. Now, I was the oldest of five children at the time. We didn't have a whole lot of means. So I was looking for a, a school that was reasonably close to home. And um, gosh, I don't know how I found I, I was looking for radio stations. Somehow I found WSOU and connected uh, with that and, and, and Seton Hall. And so I started listening to, to SOU and Kind of, kind of in my mind, wondering, gee, what does it look like over there? <laughs> you know, what does what does that look like on the other side of the of the microphone? And so, anyway, long story short, I, I applied to Seton Hall and got in. And <clears throat> I don't know why I, I I I think just out of an abundance of shyness, I didn't I didn't go over to the station when I was on, on campus for uh, freshman orientation. And and I then after classes started that fall, I. Uh, I gave myself three days because I wanted to kind of settle into my class routine. But then on the fourth day, I went over, you know, now the, 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 the physical, I envy you guys. I mean, I, I, I've seen some pictures of your studios and Lordy, I wish I had some of that gear to work with way back when, but um, you know, uh, it, 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 it doesn't look, well, the old studios didn't look anything <laughs> like what you've got today. I mean, just a nutshell description. And from my from my memory, I mean, you had you had Walsh Gym. This was in before the days of the big rec center or whatever it was built there. And so you'd go up the stairs through uh, one of the doors, and you'd hang a right. And then on the left side would be kind of a heavy, dark, heavy door that said WSOU. So I, you know, I kind of took a deep breath and I thought, okay, this is it. So in I go. And, uh, you know, the old, 
the station while I was there, it was kind of a cross between, I don't know, the 1940s and 50s and plus, and then some more modern technology, because I think the year previous was when they went stereo, which was, you know, at that time, still a big thing. And uh, so you had a little office area, wood paneled, and then uh, and then there was a door to the right that led you into a little airlock that would lead you into um, what we called Control Room A, which was our main kind of music studio. And um, and and so that was a kind of a tight room, and with with of course these were in the uh, this was in the days of vinyl, so you know there were albums lined up every everywhere that you could fit them and. 45s in a little cabinet and uh, and you had your you had your uh four pot console rotary controls you know and uh microphone and then two big turntables with felt you know turntable tops and and uh you know and that that was as high tech as that got and then and then you know on the other side was the control room um with a couple of patch bays and uh, tape decks and the, and the main uh, the uh, transmitter controls and uh, and then on the other side of that we had what we called studio b which was kind of a our conversation studio it's where we did talk shows and things we had a round table with four four mics in there and 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 all the soundproofing was like the old i don't know if you've ever seen pictures of stations from back in the the heyday of radio you know the 1940s it was just kind of um uh, i don't know what to call the material it was, it was kind of a board with holes in it you know it was it was uh not really high tech and then we had two other little studios one for doing newscasts and when i started at the station they still had uh the old style teletype so it was just you know, when you were doing a newscast, it could just suddenly start going ka-chunk, 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 you know, behind you. And, and, uh, but later on, I think maybe either later that year or the next year, we got a much more quiet uh, teletype. And, uh, and then we had a little production studio, which was where I spent, uh, wound up spending a ton of my time. Uh, and that I'm, I think had a console that had been salvaged from studio a and and i think it was either from the 60s or earlier and you always pray i always prayed when i would go in there to do production that we wouldn't have hum on the line that day you know so so it it was a challenge and uh, and then upstairs if you went kind of through the rear door of the station and upstairs to the right we had a room we called news prep and that had another had some telephones and tape decks up there and that's where we would uh we could prepare news actualities up there and that got a, that room got a good workout say when we would do uh, election coverage you know because we'd be getting reports phoned in from various locations by our reporters and the other side of that uh room was uh, our transmitter room and the office of our chief engineer who was who was uh, tom parnham uh, at the time and so that was kind of the you know the physical layout but i have to say that in terms of uh I guess I was always worried about, gee, how how would I fit in? You know, I mean, it's the you're, you're the new guy coming into a situation, and uh, I instantly felt at at home there. Uh, uh, everybody was welcoming, friendly. Uh, I think that same day I walked in, I made some friends that I, you know, I still have, yeah, am friends with to this day. Uh, everybody was just excited about being on the radio and, and, um, you know, it, it was, a, it was just a, it was a great time. And, uh, even though the, the, the facilities may not have been, you know, um, 
high tech <laughs> at the time. Uh, we did quite a bit with them, and um, and we had a we really had a had a great time there. So uh, so I mean that was that was kind of how things looked. And I was there. Uh, I was assistant engineering director for one year, and I was sort of on the advisory council another year, and uh, did a just did a ton of. Uh, production while I was there. Uh, did spend a goodly amount of time on the air doing just about everything except sports, because that's something I know probably the least about. <laughs> and, I understand uh, me as well. I've done just about yeah. everything but sports here. <laughs> yeah. But we had some amazing sports people and um, and the on-air talents at the time. There was a lot of, I have to say that I, I fed off the creativity. There, there was a lot of creativity a lot of creative folks at the station at that time doing some great work and so uh, you know so that was very inspiring uh, to me as yeah. well so uh, that's kind of a nutshell description of at least uh, kind of what it looked like for me yeah absolutely it, it sounds um I wish I could have seen it back in the day but yeah it sounds similar yet different from how it is today obviously we have you know sort of a new newer facility a lot of really good um, high-tech gear, but sort of the same the same energy. It sounds like you know everybody's very welcoming. It's kind of a big family here. Sounds like a yeah. I think I think the spirit is probably the same. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the technology changes, but I think the essence of it, the basis of it, is is uh, communicating. Uh, you know, having fun presenting the music and and um, and and uh, enjoying the time with your you know your friends and your your fellow staffers while you're there so i mean that the basis doesn't change but yeah, yeah it's just the technology that, that leaps ahead yeah absolutely so um so what was what would you say is like the biggest skill or lesson or takeaway that you sort of picked up at WSU that you found very applicable and useful later on in your career um if if there was any oh yeah well i uh, I don't know how the setup is now. I don't know if you if SOU is is more integrated into the curriculum than it was back then. I mean, we were totally extracurricular. There was yeah, it's very extracurricular today. So is it okay? So um, you were able to kind of go as far as your initiative let you, you know, which was which was nice, uh, as long as you didn't go overboard. And I got my hand slapped once or twice, but <laughs> figuratively. Um, so uh, I, I had come in with kind of a budding love of, of production. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, uh, which, which started when I was a kid, I, uh, not to make the story too long, but I, uh, I think when I was about eight, um, and this would have been probably 1964 or somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, for Christmas, uh, I got a, um, uh, quote unquote toy tape recorder. It was a, just a little small plastic reel to reel recorder with a little condenser microphone and uh, a reel of tape that was about three inches wide and maybe you could get five minutes on it. And uh, that really uh, was the most impactful gift I've ever gotten because I started playing with that and I would do little skits and plays with, with my brothers and, um, we would, uh, uh, you know, 
pretend we were one of the radio stations and one of the weather helicopters, which always crashed, but don't worry that the pilot always survived. <laughs> and, uh, and then I moved later on, I kind of continued that when we moved into the audio cassette days and I would, I would do projects at, uh, in, in high school, you know, like, uh, you are there kind of things. I don't know if you've ever heard of that show, but it would be me back in a time of history reporting on it, you know, like the Titanic sinking or something. And, of course, I drag my brothers into the into the show and make them make them perform, and and uh, so I always kind of had that that love of of um, I don't know creating stories, audio stories, and uh, one of the things that I uh, that that my time at WSOU allowed me to do was really explore that and develop those abilities. So I, uh, of course, being nonprofit educational. We couldn't create commercials, but I, I saw I thought, well, I was kind of interested in possibly doing commercial work. And I thought, well, we've got all these programs. How about uh, starting to create some, maybe some promotional campaigns for them? And so I, I did that for a, a, a few shows. Um, um, uh, Night Rock, which was our kind of our late night progressive rock show, you know, <laughs> at the time. And uh, they called it back in the day. And then... Um, and then we had a morning show called Bacon and Eggs, and um, and then um, and so I I would create campaigns, and and then later on uh, for a short while uh, I worked with a friend of mine on a half hour um, comedy show, uh, original comedy, which we called Harold, and 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 then um, later on uh, in my senior year I created a. A Christmas special, original Christmas special, and um, but anyway, starting starting with those promos, um, what it allowed me to do was to really develop my my chops in terms of writing and producing and directing. So so now instead of just creating a little skit, I, okay, I had to think of what's the goal, what's the message I want to create, how am I going to do that, um, you know, in an interesting way, and uh, so I got into scripting. And, and visualizing and then uh, and then okay well you need to come into the studio now and get the right talent so there's casting involved um, and then you've got to direct that talent so you know there's that to, in order to get the the performance you need and then then of course once you get all that then it's putting it together with editing and music and sound effects and whatever you're using and uh, and I was amazed that I, I was able to kind of visualize or hear something in my head and on the other end, come out with a finished product that sound, sounded pretty darn close to what I originally <laughs> had imagined. Yeah. And so, uh, so that, I think, I think that was probably what uh, made the greatest uh, impact on me. And uh, it really helps me uh, to this day. I think that's, that, that was the, the foundation I've really built on throughout my my career and that's that's kind of where that that all began yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um that sounds sounds really cool so um transitioning into so you graduate in 1978 um right. and what's sort of your first big job after you graduate i'm i graduate actually at the end of this week so i'm curious i'm always this is always uh, my big question is what sort of the first job looks like um, yeah well congratulations by thank the way you. thank you uh, so i had the opportunity um Starting in my junior year uh, of of getting a part time job in in radio, uh, now this was thanks to Bob Lee, who's been renowned. You know, he's 
um, everybody knows who he is these days um, because of his his sports reporting career. But he had gotten a job, and I think it I think it had become a Seton Hall thing. I don't know who had this job before him, <clears throat> but he he was. Uh, what was called at the time a production manager at uh, WOR in, in New York, WOR AM. Mm -hmm. And it was a nighttime thing on the weekends. And then of course on, on holidays. And it was like pretty much the lowest rung of management yeah. <laughs> where you, you know, you flew the production desk, which basically meant you kept logs, uh, you timed uh, tapes, you know, the, things like that. I wrote the occasional promo and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so he approached me and asked me if I might be interested. And I thought, gee, well, WOR, you know, that's, uh, I grew up with my parents listening to that station. Uh, it was a, it was a talk station, but at the time when I was growing, growing up and at that time, it, it wasn't so much telephone talk. I mean, these were like discussion programs and, and blocks throughout the day. And, uh, and I thought, gee, you know, it's a 50,000 watt flagship, clear channel flagship station. I mean, what an experience that that could be. So I went in and uh, got the job. Uh, it, it did pay. I forget how much, uh, not a ton, but it, so it wasn't a, an unpaid internship kind of deal. It was an actual, actual job. And, uh, and I did that for uh, two years. It was uh, uh, while I was in school and then for six months afterwards until I got a, a full-time gig elsewhere. Uh, it was, uh, uh, it was an interesting experience uh, because, you know, I always kind of wondered, well, here I am at WSOU. Um, what would, what would life be like at a, you know, a quote unquote real radio, <laughs> radio station, you know, not real, but commercial. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, and, and I saw that, you know, in terms of personalities and things, uh, there wasn't a whole lot different. I mean, it was uh, it was the big, it was so-called so big time, but it was uh, yeah. uh, you know, people are people, yeah. and um, but it was it was a, a great experience. I think the thing that it it allowed me to to bypass was finding out that I didn't want to do that for <laughs> yeah. for a couple of years after I got out of school. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I had a lot of interesting experiences there. I was there during you know the black? Uh, there was a big New York City blackout. I was there for that, and um, and then um, oh gosh, there there was a famous uh, serial killer. I don't know if you remember Son of Sam, and uh, I I got the news that he had when I was on duty one night. I got the news that he had been finally captured and it was up to me to kind of wake up the newsroom because there was nobody there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was waking up the news director at two in the morning or whatever it was, things like that. So it, you know, it, it uh, I think the benefit, uh, the benefit of, of it was that I, I learned that, that that was not really for me, you know? And, uh, and so my, my quandary was a little bit of trying to find out what was really right for me. I wanted to, um, continue to write and, and produce. And while I really enjoyed my time on air, you know, I love doing the music shows and the other things. I didn't really see myself as, you know, a professional on air talent. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I was lucky about six months after, uh, after graduation that, uh, and a, a, a fellow staffer who had graduated two years before me, a guy named Rich Morgan. He, he had gotten a job with a, uh, a PR company in, in New York City. Uh, they were 
specializing in video, the early days of video production, but they were also doing some audio programs. And so I was hired to come in and, 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 uh, and record and cut the, uh, the, uh, the audio programs for them. And uh, so that's kind of where it, it all began because they, the video side of things really picked up and they needed another editor, Rich, Rich was the editor at that time. And, and so I, I moved into editing from there. Uh, eventually the audio stuff dropped away. And uh, so I kind of learned uh, video production from the ground up, you know, going out on shoots, being, being a gopher and being the audio guy and um, ordering equipment and keeping things in stock. And then, and then finding, uh, seeing what went on during a shoot, uh, seeing what needed to be done in order to gather all of the, uh, the visuals that you needed for, for the production, once you got into editing, that sort of thing. So, uh, so that was the uh, the first uh, the first full time job I had. They um, I was with them for uh, a little over eight years, and by that time, uh, you know, in the in your early days, uh, or at least in my early days, I was willing to work for a little less because I was getting a lot of experience. And I reached a point where I had the experience and I was still earning less. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I decided it was time to make a change. Yeah. And I also uh, had gotten kind of pigeonholed there because uh, I had developed into a, a really good editor and that's where they wanted me to stay, even though I had asked for other opportunities to write and produce. And I was able to do a little of that, but then it was always back into the, the cool, dark editing room. And I, I got a little tired of that. So <laughs> uh, so at that point, I decided to uh, just go independent and see what happened. And so that's... So that's what I did. I, you know, I became a freelance uh, producer and a writer and editor. Yep. Absolutely. So um, so before we get into sort of what you do today with Family Legacy Video, because I really want to talk about that, um, mm-hmm. can you briefly talk about um, Pender, production, Pender Productions? I think that's sort of what you were, um, I mean, you mentioned that you went into freelance. When did you, when did you decide to start, um, I assume as your own production company? Yeah, well, I, uh, uh, that, so, so I left uh, this PR firm. And that would have been, let's see, I think that was June of um, 87. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, uh, and then, then it was up to me to start, <laughs> start trying to find clients. So uh, Pender, I, I was operating as a, as a, just a sole proprietor, you know, it, it was me. And uh, the first thing I did was try to trade on my, uh, my editing skills. So I was going to production companies and things and, and, and looking to get hired on as an editor. And uh, luckily, the uh, a couple of connections I'd made while I was on staff really helped get me started. One, one was uh, another staffer at, at the PR firm had, had left and gone to another company up in, up in uh, gosh, where was she? New Hampshire, I think. And so they hired me to do uh, an editing job up there. So I get in my car and I drive to New Hampshire and in the, that following August. And that was my first freelance gig. And, and it went well. And uh, so that was a, a shot of confidence. And then, um, and then while I had been on staff at this PR firm, there was a, uh, a utility company that had come around and, and they, they 
did a couple of editing sessions with us. Uh, they were starting to set up their own operation. Um, I don't know what they're called now. At the time, it was uh, Jersey Central Power and Light. And, uh, you know, like banks, they've, it's gone through many iterations. But yeah. Um, being bought and sold. Uh, but we we hit it off and uh, uh, I cut a couple of pieces for them. And when I left, I um, I just I just wrote to them and I wasn't even thinking of of trying to get a job with them. I just said, hey, you know, we I know we enjoyed working together. You were happy with what I did for you. And uh, I'm I'm freelance now. If If you know of anything, please send it my way or help me connect with someone, that sort of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I sent the letter out and I think maybe less than a week later, uh, I got a call from them. So it turned out that they they had they had set up a studio of their own, really kind of basic. Uh, and uh, they had a fellow on staff who was their chief cook and bottle washer. You know, he was the chief engineer, editor, camera person, whatever. And he just didn't show up for work one day <laughs> and he never came back. Wow. And so they were in a situation where they had a uh, they had a monthly uh, a magazine program that they were doing news program and they had no way to edit it so they said could you come in and kind of learn the you know figure out the studio and at least edit this show for us and uh, I, I said well sure it was a challenge so uh, I came in figured it all out and uh, and and got their show done for them and uh, then then they asked me to write a manual <laughs> so other people could operate the studio but I, I don't know that the manual was ever used because they just kept rehiring me and so that turned into about about a 12 year gig with with a little breaks here and there uh, and that was uh, uh, just a fabulous uh, connection because uh, it was a they had a very small staff but they were doing very creative stuff. And I had a lot of, it was almost like WSOU where I had a lot of creative leeway. Um, and so I got, I really got to grow uh, working with them, uh, doing a great variety of different kinds of programs from marketing to PR, informational and, and even dramatic stuff using actors and mm -hmm. Things like that, and then I and I and I was doing all the editing for them. Uh, they eventually upgraded their studio, so we had some had some good gear to work with. Um, and then and then in and around working for them, I was able to uh, to pick up work at uh, you know AT and T at the time was the real powerhouse in terms of corporate video production. They had facilities and in, in New Jersey, and also one at their headquarters in New York. So I I did some work for them and. And then a, a variety of smaller uh, independent production companies and that sort of thing. It was it was an interesting time because unlike today, when you're, you know, when we're doing, quote, you know, desktop editing on, on on computers and you know in our offices and things. I mean, these were these were facilities that uh, everyone was a little different. And and uh, and everybody had a different editor, so you know I had to I had to bounce from one to another, and all the editors did the same things, but they did it in different ways. So you know you had to learn the difference between a Grass Valley editor and a Sony editor, and and and, and you know all all the other different types of editors out there. So you know it kept you on your toes. Uh, now things are you know I think a little easier in that regard, but. Uh, but so that was a good time. I, uh, I I made a lot of connections, and especially with uh, with uh, Jersey Central Power and Light, I I grew quite a bit. 
um, in terms of my skills and won a, won a bunch of awards, which is always nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. nice for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to now, um, yeah, it sounds like fantastic experience, honestly. Um, a lot of different, different things. Uh, your resume is quite impressive. I was looking through your LinkedIn and I was like, I was like wow, he's done a lot of stuff. It's, you know, I can only, you can only hope enough. to do so much. Yeah, no. Um, no, I'm just saying it's cool. Um, yeah. Thank so you. I do want to get into family legacy video, obviously. So how did this idea come about and what was sort of, um, I don't know what was sort of the thought process behind like starting this um, and, you know, uh, what was sort of the first projects, the way they look like? Yeah, well, Family Legacy Video is an, is an interesting story, and it's been an interesting evolution for me. I've always been interested in family stories. Even as a kid, I loved, you know, hanging out, and uh, especially, you know, if we'd have family get-togethers at the holidays and things. And I loved hanging out and just listening to the adults talk, um, you know, reminiscing or uh, touching base and finding out what family member was doing what and that sort of thing, because it... It kind of grounded me. It gave me a sense of what my family was all about and who I was within that family and, and um, you know, opened me up to a little bit to the wider world of, of who was who and what was what in terms of in terms of the family. So I always had that interest. And anyway, fast forwarding. Uh, this is, uh, uh, I guess, 1996. So I was well into my freelance career by that time. And uh, I had a, my paternal grandmother, uh, Alice Rita Morrissey Pender. Uh, <laughs> she was uh, a real raconteur. I mean, she, she was a great storyteller. And, um, and she was the person who knew where everybody was, what everybody was doing, and, uh, and had great stories about her childhood. I mean, she, was, she had been born in Staten Island, uh, New York. Uh, 1911. So she had early memories, very early memories of uh, goings on around World War One, and then you know later the Depression and um, World War Two and that sort of thing. And you know she had a uh, one of her grandfathers was on the uh, police force in New York City, and he was stationed down at City Hall. So she would go in for ticker tape parades and things like that. You know the Lind Charles Lindbergh and what, what have you. So she, and and I grew up hearing about all these stories from her, and uh, you know sometimes many times, <laughs> but I but I always I always uh, liked hearing them again. And I thought, well, you know, I was very lucky at that point. She was certainly getting on in years, and I thought, well, I was the oldest grandchild uh, of my you know the firstborn grandchild of my particular generation, and I realized that a lot of the younger grandkids and nieces and nephews would would even great grandkids would never know her the way that I knew her. So I wanted to do something that would capture the sense of who she was and of course her stories. And so I thought, well, duh, you know, you're in video. How about, you know, coming up with a, a documentary of some kind? And so that's where it all began. I, I was able to, uh, uh, thanks to my relationship with the utility company I'd mentioned earlier, I was able to, uh, borrow some of their gear, you know, camera, lighting, audio gear, and and then corral one of my colleagues over there into acting as the camera person. And so um, I invited my grandmother over to my apartment in Clifton, New Jersey, and uh, one day in 1996, and we sat down and we did an interview. And it wasn't an extensive one, um, maybe an hour of raw footage, but it covered a lot of the stories that she told me growing up and 
you know, great family information. And then, um, and then being the great procrastinator that I am, it sat on a shelf <laughs> for a couple of years. And un- until uh, a little voice started telling me, you know, you better get cracking and, and get this done. So I got back together with my grandmother and she had a big box of, of photos of from decades. And my wife and I, and she sat down and went through all of these and Either she had a great memory or she was really good at making stuff up because a lot of these photos weren't marked. So I said, well, who is this and when is this and where is this? And so, you know, we would make notes on the back. And so I took all that information back uh, and uh, took her interview, decided how I wanted to sequence it, created a script. And then uh, and then again, the folks, this was still in the tape to tape days. So, you know, there's nothing digital here. This was uh, all tape to tape editing. And uh, luckily, my my pals over at Jersey Central Power and Light let me come in after hours and 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 do the editing on my on my project. And so I put together what turned out to be about uh, I guess about a half hour documentary featuring uh, my grandmother and her life. And uh, I still think to this day that it's probably one of my greatest accomplishments because I. Uh, she died shortly after it was finished. And so m- the majority of the family initially saw it at the repast following her funeral. And, you know, I can't begin to tell you what a roller coaster of emotions, uh, you know, that day was. But it was it was a real celebration. And and it, the impact that it had on on me and my family really stuck with me. Uh, and so that started the wheels turning. I thought, well, how can I make this a business? You know, because uh, there's got to be a lot of other people in the same situation, but they don't have the video skills. And uh, at the time, I really didn't think the economics were there because, you know, still in those days, uh, you know, you were editing in million dollar, multi-million dollar studios and paying hundreds of dollars hourly and things like that. And certainly I couldn't build my own studio. And and I I didn't think I could find people that would afford to pay what it would really take to do something like this. Well, so it it just kind of went on the back burner. And um, I moved from New Jersey to to Tucson, Arizona in uh, the fall of 2000. And then of course, 9-11 came along the following year. And that got me thinking again about, you know, all those lives and lost stories. And, and by that time, the technology was starting to kind of catch up with my idea and the economics. And uh, so the first thing I did was to, uh, I still wasn't sure people would hire me to do it. So I created a how-to guide and I started marketing that. And uh, so that's the first website I created was simply to sell this how-to guide, which was on a CD-ROM. And uh, I had joined a rotary club in town by that time. And when I'd gotten the CD-ROM to the beta stage, I, I wanted some people to test it. So I had a couple of members of my club do it. And one of them came back to me. He was a a retired engineer in his late seventies at the time. He said, it's a great guide. Um, and we'd love to do it, but there's no way my wife and I can do this ourselves. So can we hire you? And so then it kind of came full circle. I thought, okay, maybe there is a market uh, for this sort of thing. And so luckily, I, I uh, my first two projects were uh, for my Rotary Club members. And then that started along with my grandmother's video, gave me a, a start on a portfolio. And, uh, and then I've been kind of promoting it ever since and learning what works and what doesn't. And uh 
And uh, luckily, all these years later, I'm, I'm still going. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's all very interesting. So is the process, so whenever you do this for other people, does the process look similar to when you did it for your own grandmother? You know, you sort of go through pictures, um, you know, sort of point out the, the major characters in the, in the person's life and then sort of plan out how you're going to, you're going to do the biography or what does the process look like? Maybe it's, maybe it's different for every person, but. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I, I follow a, 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 the same process, uh, which I'll describe briefly, um, but everybody is different. So everything I do is custom. Mm-hmm. And the first, the first part of the process, like it would be say for any film or, or video uh, is pre-production. Okay. That's, that's figuring out, okay, what is it we need to do? You know, what's the goal? I'm very goal oriented. So uh, quite often the, uh, the client may not be the, what I call the storyteller, the, the, the person or persons I'm interviewing. It may be say uh, the children who want to have their parents recorded. And so from them, I find out, well, what do you want to accomplish? You know, is this a full kind of arc of a life? Are we focusing only on business or maybe a military career? Just what is it we're going to be talking about? And are there any particular stories that you know of that you want to make sure are in there? And then then what I do is conduct what I call a pre-interview. So whoever I'm going to interview on camera, uh, you know, if we're at a distance, it can be over the phone or or via Zoom or something like that. Uh, if they're in the same town, I can meet with them personally. And then we have a chat well, like we're doing. Uh, and it's, it takes the form of a casual chat. But I'm I'm working. You know, I'm yeah. uh, a- asking asking questions, learning their stories and collecting the background information I need. Uh, and that accomplishes a few things. First, it, it helps break the ice so they know. Uh, they know who I am. I'm not showing up cold on their doorstep with a camera yeah. crew one day, and they know I'm interest, interested in them and 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 what they have to say. Uh, it also gives me a sense of what may work visually. So, you know, I can I can look at my notes afterwards and say, oh well, these are the kinds of photos and other visuals. Uh, it could be wedding invitations, could be magazine newspaper clippings, whatever, uh, that would help illustrate what they're talking about. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll send a wish list to my client and say, do you have any of this stuff? Um, some of the higher end projects, I, I actually go out and get archival footage. So, uh, you know, so that can be pretty neat uh, as well. And, and so the, uh, the other benefit of doing the pre-interview is it gives me the background information I use to create the questions. So all of my questions are very specific to the, this particular storyteller and, uh, and are designed to elicit the stories that, that they've already told me and maybe generate some thoughts about other stories that they didn't mention. And uh, so that's the, the pre-production part of it. And of course, logistics, you know, scheduling a time to shoot, time and place and hiring the crew and that sort of thing. And so I go in as uh, with, a, with a crew, uh, depends on it can be anywhere from maybe three to five people, depending on what we're doing. And I act as the producer, director, and, and interviewer. And uh, and then we shoot an interview, usually in a day, but it can be more. We've done multiple days. And um, and then that and that part of it, the lights, camera, action, that's the second step. So that's production. Okay. So uh, that's the interview. That's, um, you know, if they've got their, their visuals together, maybe shooting or scanning all of that material, just collecting all the assets we're going to need. 
And then sitting down and then afterwards you get into post-production and that's looking at all this material. Uh, quite often I'll make transcripts of the interviews and then, and then figuring out, okay, how am I going to piece this all together? And then going into the, the editing and uh, that's where the magic happens and then putting the final video together. And uh, I, these days I, I'll, I'll post previews online so the client can look at them and make any corrections or changes they want to. And then, and then when it's all finalized and I've gotten the green light, we make uh, copies in whatever formats that they prefer. Uh, in the early days, it's, it was mainly disc, you know, uh, DVD and Blu-ray these days, uh, more and more we're doing um, uh, flat, uh, video files on very nice custom flash drives. Um, cause that seems to be the way things are going. Uh, so that, that's it in a nutshell. We follow those three steps, but, uh, in between, you know, those they're during those steps, it's, it, it's all custom and, uh, everything is designed to uh, meet, uh, our clients and storytellers wants and needs. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we're just about out of time, but I, I do have one last question for you. So what's, um, so you've obviously, you have, you know, a lot of experience, a really interesting career, really. Um, you know, a lot of really cool experience. What's, if you could give one piece of advice to an undergraduate that's interested in going into like video production, storytelling, writing, you know, any of that sort of um, stuff, what what would be the your piece of advice for them? Yeah, I'd say, I'll tell you a very quick story because I know we're running out of time, but. No, you're good. Uh, but uh, my, my freshman year, okay, there was a, uh, a career day and I think they held it over at the student center. And it was a chance to uh, meet professionals in various fields. And so I, I went over there and there was a fellow, I think his name is on a plaque hanging somewhere in the station, a fellow at, at ABC called Steve Neno. And he was very involved with, uh, with the station um, in an advisory capacity. And I didn't know who he was at that time, but I, I came into this room, got in line, and I was behind a fellow who, who sat down with Steve uh, and I wasn't eavesdropping, but I was close enough that I couldn't help but overhear the conversation. And uh, this, this fellow says, well, I, I want to get into radio. And you know, I was wondering if you can give me some advice. And <laughs> so Steve said, asks him, well, you know, how, how, what have you done over at WSOU? How involved have you been at the station? And, and he said, well, I've never been there. And, and, and I remember Steve looking at him and saying, you want to go into radio and you've never been on the, in the, into the campus radio station. And, uh, I don't know what, what he said after that, but it really made an impression on me because, yeah. you know, here you've got this asset and, you know, he didn't make any use of it. And so he's starting from square one upon graduation. So my, my advice, whether you're looking to get into video, whether it's radio or some kind of an audio related career, Use whatever assets you have on campus to the max, you know, uh, get as much experience as you can. So, you know, if, if I pray that your your television facility is in better, <laughs> better shape than it was when I was there, because <laughs> we really don't have much to work with. Um, but if, if video is your thing, you know, live at the live at the television facility, you know, um, milk as much information from your professors as you can um, you take as much as initiative as you can to produce programs and write for whatever it is you want to explore. Um, and when you when you have the opportunity, look for, you know, 
in the, in the summers or whatever, look for some real time, real world experience, you know, be it an internship or if you can get a part-time job somewhere, just, just to get a sense of what it's like out there. You may find that you love it. You may find that, hmm, like I did early on, this isn't really for me. Where else can I go? <laughs> and, uh, and it could save you some time in the long run. So yeah, do as much as you get as you can with what you've got to work with on campus and, and get some real time, uh, real world experience and, uh, and be flexible. You know, if you get an opportunity to do something that may be kind of related to your field, but not exactly what you want, well, try it. You, you never know where it, where it may lead you. So I guess in a nutshell, that's, that's, that would be kind of my, my nugget of, of wisdom. Absolutely. It's a great, great nugget of wisdom. Um, all right. Well, Steve, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been a really insightful interview. Um, I'll definitely remember this as I, you know, graduating, going off into the world. Um, for the listeners, we will see you in the next episode of the WSOU Alumni Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the WSU Alumni Podcast. Make sure to listen to all of our old episodes and stay tuned for new ones. Also, make sure to check out the Pirates Eye Podcast, where they interview Seton Hall alumni from all walks of life. You could hear that on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts.